0: I pledge allegiance I pledge allegiance to the, to the band It may perhaps discourage you and others of your kidney Or infected with this vicious virus That you'll be ordered to pay a fine of 75 pounds I'll pay now to you boys Just make 10 louder And make 10 be to the top number And make that a little louder. These guys are
1: 11. Let's get rocking!
0: Welcome to Movies at Rock, rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and I have two very special guests with me today. One is a returning guest who was here for the Depeche Mode 101 episode and for What's Love Got to Do With It? And that's my friend Nick Bambeck. And also in her movies at Rock debut is my friend Mary from the Hall Watchers podcast. Hi guys. Hey. How you doing? Hey Josh. Welcome to the show. And first and foremost, I gotta say this right off the top. We were talking about this before I hit the record button, but thank you, Mary, for this amazing new technology you've introduced me to for a high quality podcast recording.
1: You are so welcome. I am <laughs> I was happy to discover it myself because I didn't know what to do. And generally, still don't know what to do on any given moment with recording. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> well, this should this should be said off the bat that um, she gave me this um, amazing program because she has a podcast of her own called Hall Watchers. And um tell us a little bit about what you and Eric do.
1: Yeah. So my husband and I have a podcast called Hall Watchers. Um we talk about the Rock and Hall of Fame. We, you know, just talk about a lot of issues like surrounding nominations and we sort of advocate for things that need to be advocated for, like getting more women in the rock hall and people of color. We talk about issues, you know, surrounding the nomination process and just that kind of thing. And Lately with the pandemic, our topics have been a little more off topic, but that's been fun too. So
0: they've been awesome the last few episodes, like the Screamin' Jay Hawkins and yeah.
1: um, Hank uh, Ballard and the Midnighters. Yeah, Screamin' Jay Hawkins is a huge like um omission for me. So
0: I knew very little about him until I heard that episode and he, that was very eye opening.
1: He's amazing. He's really amazing yeah. and looks funny and just um just total rock and roll. He scares the bejesus out of me. yeah he's a little he's a little a little out there i love that alan freed's son was like yeah he was a nice guy but he scared the the shit out of me because he was just popping out of a coffin i was a little kid it was terrifying you know i I was deeply amused by that
0: and nick um you've been on before so we we don't need to introduce you no
1: (laughs) oh no no introductions
0: necessary No, Nick, tell us what you do in the rock hall sphere. So I have a blog, the Audiovisual Repository. I write about primarily the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I just uh, published a blog uh, a week ago on uh, Outcast. So I do a rock rock hall contender series where I spotlight an artist that I think either that that has never been nominated, but either someone I think has been overlooked or not often seen as um, a priority in the hall community so the this last one i did was outcast It's gotten a really good reception so i was like really happy with um you know it took so many so long to write it it was like three three or four months it took to write it
1: yeah and i and loved it shows. Your, it's really well written yeah i loved your piece on outcast it was so well researched and i mean i'm biased or one of my favorite groups but um definitely um, someone should take that in the nomination room for sure
0: well, thank you guys. It was just, it was just, um, re- very cool. Then, like the Rock Hall, the next day had a spotlight on the best duos, um, in rock and roll, and Outcast was one of the four that they spotlighted. So it was just like almost serendipity. I think it's a matter of time before they get in, but I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. Oh, well, they'll definitely get a nomination. I think soon.
1: Well, and what a fun performance that would be at the ceremony too. I think too. I, they have so much charisma and energy
0: and it's 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 just beautiful seeing them when they used to perform. Actually our movie of the evening that we're discussing, I, I kind of got the interest in doing this after hearing your episode, Mary, with Eric, about some of your favorite things in general. And you got to talking about La Bamba. Yeah. And how much you love that movie. So I figured that's a movie I've never seen. <laughs> Which so I I'm ashamed bad. to admit I
1: feel like I spoiled it but not spoiled because we kind of know what happens in the end but like when we were messaging the other day I thought you had seen it already so now I feel terrible
0: no 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 I definitely know what happened at the end of the movie <laughs> as I'm sure most of our listeners do right so there's not a whole lot to spoil but I was sort of joking because listeners, see we were having a little exchange about right events in the movies and things in the movie and things like that and obviously it doesn't have the happiest ending in the right. world but I think you guys are mostly aware of that
1: yeah i have a um a long relationship with this movie like when it came out i was probably about eight or nine and my grandmother was re- really obsessed with Lou diamond phillips like she thought he was very <laughs> handsome and so we watched it a lot and i became obsessed with it and one of the first albums i ever bought was a Richie Valens like best of compilation? Like I had my grandmother drive me to the mall and special order it, <laughs> like because they didn't have it. So I was like that determined to get it. So it's just been this lifelong like love of Richie Valens since I was a, a kid, and it was all because of this movie.
0: He's somebody I always forget about how influential and amazing and important he is. Right? He's so and and progressive. This movie really did a great job of showing. What in essential figure he was in opening up race relations in a lot of ways, I well, think, in rock think and roll.
1: About, I mean, he wrote like over like twenty something songs and he died at the age of seventeen. Like it's wild to think about, you know, accomplishing that much and breaking all these barriers, you know, before you even like become eighteen. Right. Years he was old. like Billy Eilish. Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, it <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but for, but it, it's true. Like, that's what I was thinking. when I was watching it. I'm like, he, that's how old she is. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's conquering the world in much of the same way. I, I hope that her that she lives a long, full and healthy life. But yeah. as far as, you know, accomplishments at that age go.
1: Well, we were talking about this earlier um, and I have to say it like there's always these threads online of like, who would you take out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? that i i'm not particularly a fan of when people start those threads but a couple of people i've seen have said richie valens to take him out of the rock and roll hall of fame and it's so absurd to me it's insane that's crazy that anyone would say that i mean he's such a pioneer of the chicano music you know Mm -hmm. you think about los lobos and carlos santana you know all the way down to like selena and dave navarro at the basis for Metallica, Robert Traheo, like he, you could argue, are influenced by Richie Valens.
0: At the time that he was popular, that was unheard of. It was really radical. And and it's outlined a little bit in the movie how people were not warm in their embrace of that style of music. Right. So Nick, how about you? What, What was the first time you saw this movie? So I saw this movie probably about 15-20 years ago. I can't remember if I was in middle or high school. And I remember it was always on TV. So I'm thinking like TNT or TBS or one of those stations. Um, And I just didn't really remember a whole lot about the movie. And then when we were discussing this movie for your podcast... I feel like didn't remember a whole lot and it was almost like watching it for the first time. The first time though, that I remember hearing about Richie Valens, and I know this is going to sound kind of um, stereotypical or is probably the um, American pie song by Don McLean. And it's just like, it's the day the music died and it, it, it's kind of sad because I feel that especially Richie Valens, he's been defined by that incident. And it's like we kind of forget how much of a musical pioneer and almost a revolutionary figure in many ways to the story of rock and roll, especially like the early years of rock and roll where it was almost unheard of for a Hispanic artist to sing music in their own language and it become a smash hit. Like it was just, it was revolutionary. That's, That's like what I always thought of him as. And um, I always think that the the day the music died in American Pie, they kind of unfortunately overshadowed his musical accomplishments. I agree, absolutely. Because he's a name that really doesn't come up in the conversation very much as one of the founding fathers of rock and roll, but he really was. The only song that people go to is La Bamba these days, just probably because of the movie, but he said so many other super important songs that really have made an impact, I think. And diverse. I think that's yeah. what people have to think about too with uh, Richie Valente, His three big songs there's a slow ballad, uh like a Mexican folk song, and like a fast up-tempo rock and roll song. It's they're all radically different. Well,
1: one of my favorite songs he does is Ooh My Head, and like that, he really wails on <laughs> yeah. that. He sounds almost punk on it. He's like really, really getting into it and has this very like gruff voice and everything it's like he's he was just really amazing for what he did in the short time he had with us
0: we should get this out of the way there is a sequel to La Bamba (laughs) which is kind of like it's something uh, the stuff of legend I figured we would just say this at the top because I I have a feeling Nick is going to refer to this multiple times this evening Nick will be heartbroken
1: if we don't
0: uh don't bring this up you know it's right. La Bamba, two or nothing.
1: <laughs> Help! <like, laughs> oh my God, what was that? And Mary, Hell-
0: you discovered this?
1: No, I did. I think no, oh, you it was Nick because oh. you brought it to me, and I was just like, "Well, now I'm like, I have to watch this." So when
0: Mary. On
1: her show, she had a thing
0: where she was asking people for book and movie recommendations because we're in quarantine. And then Greg, one of our friends, mentioned La Bamba as one of his favorite rock movies. And we were just like, "Okay." So I Google La Bamba and like, I swear to God, the second or third result was La Bamba (laughs) 2, Hell is a Drag. And I'm like... What is this? And then I literally click on things, and basically it's like a, I guess like a Cinemax softcore porn movie. It's like the wildest <laughs> trailer you could ever imagine.
1: Um, it is referred to as Trash Camp. <laughs> per That's Rob Fatal, the director. <laughs> I, like I saw the trailer, I'm like, I can't tell if I like desperately need to see this or if I should just not see this at all. And I'm I'm I leaning towards to desperately it. need to.
0: Yeah, I'm like, where do I sign right now? Um, <laughs> so so I'm, I'm putting this out here, too, for the listeners. I, I, I'm holding these guys to it that if we ever are able to acquire a copy or or find this somewhere on the Internet, we are going to live stream our reactions to watching this movie oh, yeah. in, in Mystery Science Theater 3000 style.
1: Yeah, I feel like my, my fandom of Mystery Science Theater has prepared me for this oh Absolutely. my god
0: it really has and our years of like rock hall expertise will just yes. probably have our heads and down and just be like i can't believe they're they're really killing richie Valens. yeah but
1: it looked like it more. was scre- <laughs> it was screened at some like uh san francisco film festival and then it like, was i don't know i'm kind of obsessed with it now like i want to see it so rob it failed, a life of its there. own
0: <laughs> i'm just imagining it to be like a rupaul's drag race esque.
1: i I don't even yeah Yeah, it was definitely bizarre like the the trailer like i can't even it was one of those i can't even describe it but yeah it's like it everyone's in drag and essentially what is it (laughs) richie gets kidnapped and brought to hell and like the director rob fatal has to go get him and like (laughs) yeah it's it's a whole thing
0: so (laughs) listeners out there if anybody knows anything about this knows how to get this in our hands or get this on our computers that we can see this please hit us up right away we're desperate this is important. a <laughs> masterpiece like, like obviously you know, we're be...
1: desperate right <laughs> <laughs> that we're That's starting our...
0: the show with this <laughs> yes.
1: it's like richie <laughs> valenthali's <all these> com- <laughs> amazing accomplishments and also this movie <laughs> Yeah. I just I think my favorite
0: review ever is their one of the IMDB uh, reviews of like the 30 people that watched it. I love that they say terrible film, do not recommend. How is this even allowed to be a movie? I just I love that that's the review. <laughs> <laughs> Cinematic masterpiece. Uh, like it's oh gotta my... be shown at MoMA. Oh my god. I just I, my Modern biggest art. question is like what is the connection between La Bamba and La Bamba 2 like what makes it a sequel to La Bamba
1: it that's takes kind of what I'm curious years
0: after Richie Valance dies and then there's like some kind of like apocalypse or yeah. zombie I don't know who the heck knows Josh I think and then I think like what's really weird and this gets like Mystery Shines theater-esque is like there's also like other dead musicians so like Selena yeah. and Kurt Cobain and okay. Buddy Holly and it's like richie Valence will save the world and you're just like
1: I well i mean he, he
0: will it's richly he, complex i see it, that it, it, it's multi-layered <laughs> it's a very nuanced um story oh, <laughs> I, I don't know Oh man so anyway so now that we've gotten that out of the, our system we should probably right?
1: talk about the good movie
0: Right. The good movie that's called La Bamba. And that's a 1987 biopic based on the unfortunately brief life of Richard Valenzuela, who would later be known as Richie Valens, played by the ever charismatic Lou Diamond Phillips in his first ever film role. The movie chronicles his mid-teenage years up through his... Spoiler alert, his passing in a plane crash with Big Bopper and Buddy Holly, his family life as well, that you have Isai Morales as his brother. It really goes through his rise to the top from being a kind of homegrown singer-songwriter who nobody really believed in him to really one step away from conquering the world. Why don't we get some overall thoughts on the movie? Because I I don't want to go first. I know I haven't seen the movie before until this first viewing, but I know that you guys both recently watched it for this. What are some general feelings you had after you watched it for this viewing?
1: So you know what's so interesting to me? And it's like, I've, it had been a long time since I had seen it. And I brought this up to Nick. It's like, is this a Richie Valens movie? Or is it really the story of his brother, Bob? Because um, the story and the more richer, to me, acting comes from Bob's story. Bob Morales, his half-brother, who was pretty heavily involved in the movie. And I know Isai Morales, who is not a relation took a lot of inspiration from him and listened to him. And I, yeah, it just, I I found myself like afterwards wanting to research Bob the most. Like he's such a fascinating person and character and uh, had a really, really difficult life that he did manage to turn around.
0: Yeah, and it, that role was um, a much showier role than Richie Valens was, which was really interesting. I found actually Richie Valens, like his character in the screenplay, was relatively, I don't want to say two dimensional, but it wasn't as maybe as fully fledged as Bob's character
1: i agree and i don't know if some of that comes from like richie was a teenager so it's like when you're 17 like how dimensional is your life although he was incredibly (laughs) talented and did give so much and was quite dimensional so it's funny that the movie like kind of went that direction it's interesting
0: because in the original screenplay really richie was like a supporting character almost and it was really about the uh, bob character i forgot how much of the story focuses on bob
1: it's so unique as a biopic in that way like about a deceased artist because it's usually all about the artist but this really focuses on how much pain this family is and we were talking about this today it's just like this has been their legacy that their brother was killed you know tragically way too young and they've had to live with this just the rest of their life and it did cause quite a bit of pain and i know bob struggled with substance abuse issues and alcoholism yeah and
0: and that's pretty heavily portrayed in the film too i'm can imagine some guilt he had felt after the tragic event that, you know, because he was so jealous of Richie, he battled his demons his whole entire life. I didn't remember much from when I saw the movie many years before. So when I watched it, what struck me about the movie was how it felt like there was very little music in this movie. And even like the live performances of Richie, it seemed like It didn't come until much later in the film. And that's why the more I was thinking about this, it's more about the family and really how a family in the post-war era is trying to prosper in poverty and rise out of that and live the American dream. That's how I took it. So like in a more historical perspective, even like the tagline for this movie, it's born to poverty, destined for stardom, he lived the American dream. And I think that, sums it up well and i feel like it's really about him trying to like provide for his family like i always think about the scene in the um where he's in the studio with the um the bob producer keen. bob keen character and he says who are you gonna do it for the friends or someone else and he says his family so to me that's where the focus is him trying to provide for his family and I think that's what makes this movie radical and progressive and also it holds up kind of well kind of piggybacking off of that this film I thought did a really beautiful job of and this is something you really don't see even in movies now that are you know quote-unquote woke it does a really beautiful job of showing how this family particularly Richie, was kind of caught between these two societies. And he was faced with a lot of racism from like Donna's family because Donna's dad didn't want anything to do with him and didn't want her to have anything to do with him and because of his race. But yet on the other side, he was facing it from other Mexican-Americans who would kind of look down at him because he didn't speak Spanish and because he was assimilated into the culture more than they would have liked. So there's that fine line that you're walking between what is my identity And this film, I thought, really did a nice job of showing that. And that's something that you don't really see really depicted at all. There's a lot of powerful stories of overcoming racism and being... You know,
1: being heavily identified your culture and like knowing your culture and um, being Mm -hmm. kind of immersed in it.
0: What's also great about the story, too, is, is that he assimilates in a way because like when he performs at the end, um, near the end of the movie with um, like Eddie um, Cochran and Jackie Wilson and all, all these stars, he's like accepted. As a teen idol. So in a way, like the assimilation is what's radical in a weird way with this movie, because Richie Valens is not a political person, but the but the things that he that came from it became uh, almost political in the sense that, you know, yeah, he like inadvertently became like a political figure just by virtue of him singing a Spanish rock and roll song.
1: Right. In a parallel way, too, with this movie, you know, in 1987 to portray a Latino family is just like one's a rock and roll hero and rises above everything. And like, you know, the rest of the family is like loving and hardworking and even Bob, you know, I think we can all relate to struggling with demons in our life. Like, you know, I think up until then roles for Latinos had just been like, you know, gangsters or just the bad guy. West Side Story. Yeah. So to have (laughs) a family portrayed like this, you know, just as a normal family who's just trying to struggle, you know, to survive and better their life, I think was, you know, really wonderful.
0: Contrasting it with Donna's family. Right. The the movie really makes that distinction very clearly. As good of a match as they are, they are kind of out of each other's leagues and very interesting way. Well, the boy says when Virtue first sees Donna in the classroom, he's like, oh, I think I'm in love. And then the guy behind him says... She's way out of your league, man. I think he says yeah. up to the extent of like, she's not even in your same class and that could be taken two ways. She's maybe too pretty for him or whatever, but also like he's in a different class structure. He's from a poor background, like barely getting by. And she lives in like kind of like a waspy, Eisenhower-like household. You know, you know
1: what right. I mean? Like totally. Yeah,
0: it portrayed that nicely, especially when they start getting a little more serious in their relationship. And then Donna's dad does everything in his power to sabotage any communication at all that they might have with each other right but he does it in, in a way that's kind of subtle and insidious right <laughs> well he calls the music like jungle music right so if yeah. you think about it he doesn't overtly say anything racist like head-on but when you say jungle music okay so you would kind of think that definitely has a racist connotation yeah just a little <laughs> yeah oh, oh no you don't know try to say like he doesn't flat out say you know right. like it but he, but that's the implication, yeah. That he's definitely not okay with her going out with this "quote unquote" bad boy. You right? know that there was an interesting scene when he goes to her house and knocks on her door to try and trying and you know take matters into his own hands and figure out what's going on. I wonder, just like in your opinions on this, do you think that she was making those comments to Richie? about yeah i am seeing other guys and so what of it do you think she was feeling that or was she just projecting onto him or was she just being dad's puppet
1: i mean i think in the hollywood version i would say she was probably just trying to protect richie like you know to get him away from her you know so he doesn't get hurt by the family's racism and just continuing to have to put up with this abuse kind of a thing that was the vibe i got it's one
0: of those milk toast biopic beats that the movie right. hits every well, now and, and then yeah
1: the real donna I mean, I think she's still friends and keep, or I think she might have passed since, but I know she kept in touch with his family late like, throughout her life. Like they were very, very close, like to the siblings, and she was very close with Richie's mother and was involved with the family quite a bit, which is lovely to know that in real life that she kept that connection
0: and to be immortalized in a song. Yeah, like right. That.
1: And I guess he really did play it for her over a payphone, which is just, you know. If you're That's romantic, just adorable. yeah, it's very, very sweet. <laughs>
0: I love how in the movie, how they show when he's playing it on bandstand and the reactions of everybody. That was a heartwarming little moment. Well, you know what's funny though? In real life, that's not the song that he plays on bandstand. It's really, come on, let's go. But I think with Donna, did she want to protect Richie? I think so. I think the movie wants to portray her as kind of like dad's puppet. Like she's been told like, you can't be with this boy. He's not good for you. And she's also a teenager. Teenagers usually don't know what they want in the sense that, like, you have all these feelings and they're maturing. So I I think that that scene, it kind of gave her a little bit more depth because now there's a conflict at stake. Like, does she break up with Richie or break it off or does she continue and go against her parents' wishes? Because even the mother is not that supportive of it. I think she says, like, in the movie, like, it's just a phase. Yeah, she said, like, don't lead him on. Yeah. And so you can tell that they're just, like, feeding her what to say and how to act because, you know, he's from the wrong side of the tracks in their eyes. And they probably don't want her to get her either because even if they were supportive, if you were, of this relationship, they know the risk involved of people from two different worlds, so to speak, forming a relationship. They were up against so much in the 1950s. You know, civil rights wasn't for, like, another decade. Yeah, and it's an interracial Relationship. It's very provocative for 1958, 1959. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go back to Bob a little bit because there's so much to flesh out with his character because he was really talented in his own right. And again, he sort of sabotaged his own whatever success he may have had with his cartoon work and his art. Right. And then also, too, with a lot of the family issues that he had with his child and Rosie. Right. <laughs> Which was interesting (laughs) yeah oh
1: my god he's such an interesting character in this movie and again like i just i found myself just wanting to research him almost more than richie valens like by the time you know i did a rewatch of this but yeah i know he struggled because he originally thought richie's dad was also his father and then found out later on that he wasn't and then i couldn't find any information really about the drawing stuff and the artist stuff like i don't know how much that if that was just a plot point thrown in or I mean, it must've come because the family oh, was so involved yeah. that I can't imagine they would have just made it up.
0: He gives those uh Woody woodpecker drawings that he finds. Cause he's a garbage man at Columbia uh, uh, pictures. And he's like, I got $500. And then you're thinking like, Oh, okay. And he clearly didn't do those drawings probably. And then he's like, it's $500 in art supplies. And right. you're like, <laughs> it's like this guy <laughs> right. can't, can't win. But it's so weird because up until that point, I thought he was a very unlikable character. I mean, he's like this sleazy Lothario. Yeah, he's definitely flawed. I don't know if I, I found him unlikable necessarily, but he definitely had some hang ups for sure. <laughs> I mean, like, he comes to the compound from jail, and then he. he has money you know it's not good where he got the money from he sleeps with rosie and you find out she's a virgin Later, the <laughs> why movie, didn't you tell me it was your first time you didn't ask <laughs> that, yeah. that was, i was like what <laughs> yeah and then they're still going at it and you're just like what's right. going on here and then she leaves off with him because you know it can't be worse than where she's at with the compound even though they're very communal and it's very loving and supportive you know it's like a way out but then the way out actually you feel bad for her because she gets pregnant. And then I thought the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie is when he rapes her.
1: Right. Yeah. That's always yeah, that's fun thing in too. movies. Yes.
0: <laughs> when she says that she's pregnant, he's like, it's not my first and it won't be my last. And you're just like, oh my God, where's this, this iron? Like, you need to hit him in the face. I felt so... So uncomfortable for
1: her. The reason he went to jail, and I forgot what the crime he committed was some dumb teenage thing, but his mother was basically the one who turned him in. And so he went to jail for however many years because of that.
0: He said that in the movie because when she kicked him out, it's
1: like, you're the one who got me locked up when they're having a big fight. And so he just, it's just such an interesting character. And there's so much resentment and behind the scenes going on. And I guess real Bob, you know, basically was like, yeah, I was a horrendous human being. Go ahead and show it, you know, write the movie with me being a terrible person because I was, you know, I appreciated his honesty. And like, I think to the end, and I know, and, um, his, you know, with the real life, Rosie, they had like seven children. I think they did eventually get married. After Richie's death, he kind of went off the deep end pretty understandably and then, um, kind of turned his life around he went to rehab and then he worked in a rehab for a long time and helped other people turn their life around so that's cool so he's definitely like a redemption yeah so i totally like i totally dove in obsessively yeah <laughs> checked out his life because he's <laughs> so interesting and isai morales was just amazing in the movies just portrays him so well
0: i wanted to kind of get into the performances like the yeah musical performances can we talk about yeah. the silhouettes first
1: <laughs> i know with the 40 year old like high school teen <laughs> that's in the silhouettes the balding asian guy
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yes we have to talk about that all the performances are just ace yeah i, I had
1: i had totally space on brian setzer being in yeah. um, and playing eddie cochran and he was so great
0: and marshall a little card card well or card Marsha, what, what, uh, Marshall Crenshaw, Crenshaw, Marshall Crenshaw. He he, he plays Buddy Holly.
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: and also I mean Jackie Wilson. <gasps> yeah, as yes. Well, Howard Huntsbury. That was like a spot-on impersonation of Jackie Wilson. You know, I wanted my Jackie Wilson biopic. When is that ever going to happen? Because I
1: love Jackie Wilson. He's another mm, one of my favorites.
0: Because just think about like his final performance is like he was singing "Lonely Teardrops" and then he um went into a coma because you know the part in Willie Teardrops where he says my heart is crying crying and he had, does that like high pitch he yeah. like went into a coma on stage I think in 74 or 75 at like some show Jeez. and then he was in a 10 year coma and then he died in 84 from Wild. while still being in the coma it's just like it's such a fascinating story like why is there wow. no Jackie Wilson biopic and Michael Jackson really um, loved Jackie Wilson too like just somewhat topical because he always I think referred to him as like his biggest inspiration and Jackie Wilson was so 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 talented oh my god yeah and Los Lobos make an appearance in the movie and they I I love their traditional arrangement of La Bamba that he hears and sparks his um interest in covering that song
1: Yeah, I love that scene where he's just kind of leaning against the stage and, um, you know, picking up the guitar and, like, trying to learn the song, like, as they're playing it. It's a very, very sweet scene.
0: I thought it was kind of funny because Los Lobos, their biggest hit that they ever had was the song La Bamba, but the rock and roll arrangement. Right. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that you never actually hear that in the movie, even though it's kind of the cornerstone of what people remember a lot of times with this movie. Well, I think they sing it in, like, the traditional, like, the way you would normally sing La Bamba. Right. Because we're so used to the rock and roll version that Richie Valance would later cover that it's so kind of weird to think that that's how it once was um, recorded. Well, I love that. I I prefer the traditional version just by personal taste, but I thought maybe, like, in the end credits we would get, like, the version that was a hit. You know what I mean? Like, we don't ever hear the hit arrangement of it. That sort of surprised me. And the Los Lobos, they play on all the songs that the Lou david Phillips, um, Richie Valens' character performed. Because Louis-David Phillips oh, didn't yeah. like to, he could lip-sync, but he couldn't really sing. Like, he could kind of mm-hmm. play the guitar. So the Los Lobos, they um, recorded the music. Like, they were the sing- like the lead singer, whose name is Escaping Me. He um, provided the- David the Hidalgo, right? Yes. Yeah. See the singer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw Los Lobos in concert a couple times and they're just unbelievable.
1: They're incredible. And they've only been nominated once for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I wish crime. they would come back, you know?
0: And, and it's so weird because it's like they were a surprise nominee. And I remember, and they, Mary could especially remember this, uh, when they were nominated, a lot of people were like disappointed at first. They're like, Los Lobos. And then once you kind of deep in, uh, dive into their uh, discography, very very strong like Will the Wolf Survive and their work on the La Bamba soundtrack and even beyond that it's an incredible um, Kiko is one of my favorite albums
1: yeah they put out that Christmas album pretty recently and I'm a sucker for Christmas music and it's so beautiful uh, we oh, were that playing that funny. one a lot well and i sent you guys that article from rolling stone apparently there's a stage musical in the works about yes. richie valens called come on let's go and it's producer uh brad garfield and director uh tony tacon and i guess Los lobos is involved with doing the music for that as well and i think um richie's you know remaining siblings are involved his two sisters and i believe there's a another brother involved too that's
0: so yeah. cool yeah that's gonna be amazing yeah, the music across the board is just to because, me. I mean, you have you have Richie Valens and Los Lobos and Buddy Holly and um, Eddie Cochran and the Big Bopper.
1: I know, Nick. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, who is the actor playing him? Because he looks exactly like Sean Astin and, like, I couldn't get over it.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I thought was, too. Oh, the Big Bopper? Stephen Lee, the guy? Yeah, that was? yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I don't think he, he hasn't done, like, a whole lot of acting. yeah he's a very divisive figure to say the least yeah i don't see we were talking before me and Ari about um the big bopper and i don't know like chantilly lace always kind of rubbed me the wrong way i don't know why <laughs> there's something about that song that's I... just... what <laughs> yeah it, it, it it's like okay like someone's really desperate here <laughs> yeah it's a pretty it's a very sexual song
1: we're very enthusiastic like, back in Louisiana. Leave it. <laughs>
0: yeah, but, but but if you contrast that to like, and this is something that's really important, is like Richie Valance was heavily influenced by like, say, Little Richard. Little Richard was a very sexualized yeah. figure, mm-hmm. like, he, but he also had like this charisma and like stage presence, like you couldn't deny him to Plus, Little Richard's so like everything, like he's he's just incredible. But like, I don't know something about Chantilly Lace. that just like, it's two minutes, but like i don't know it i think a lot of people feel that much.
1: way well i, think I don't it, i don't have a problem it, it,
0: with it but
1: yeah you know. jp did a lot i think like you know like for radio and like you know that kind of stuff he has a pretty long history i think it's a little bit shocking he's not in the rock and roll hall of fame as well but
0: if he had been around longer to have been known for more than just chantilly dice i think right. he may have had more of a chance to be in
1: i think, but I think a stuff. lot of
0: people have feel like nick do and yeah um, you know have trouble with that song <laughs>
1: that's the uh the kind of the tragedy of all of this it's like all three of them their lives were just cut so short and i forgot buddy holly's like 22 years old it's just like i can't i barely remember being 22 French. it feels so long ago you know
0: yeah it, it, 17 years old like, yes it's really not even an adult
1: no it's just it's so heartbreaking
0: maybe think of american pie which is i think what a lot of people you know think of when they hear about right richie valance and at all But, you know, I put, I tweeted yesterday that I'm not really a big fan of that song. And I sort of got crucified for it. But, um,
1: The people who crucified you (laughs) should go to a karaoke bar where drunk individuals karaoke that song. And they'll change their tune really quickly. Right.
0: (laughs) Where they say to you, Josh, bye, bye. No, (laughs) I
1: I appreciate the song. I think it's really overplayed, you know. Yeah, I I think it's it's a little long. Just, yeah.
0: That's the problem with it, I think, is that it, it, it's so overplayed that it's kind of almost become, like, a parody in a weird way. To me, it's like, like a hashtag Hey Boomer song. Like, it was, it kind of started the whole Boomer romanticizing movement. <laughs> oh, you read my piece on the singles category letters. That's pretty much what I thought. It's like, that that's like, if, if, if there's like a nostalgia Boomer song, it's so American pop. Yeah. <laughs> And, and i find it lays it on a little bit thick for my tastes. yeah and i don't know i'm not really a big uh it, it, it's a good song it's just i don't know i like vincent better I do but that's too. another story yeah that's a, that's a lovely song <laughs> but we we digress
1: <laughs> we do digress that's what we're good at yeah. <laughs>
0: It was just such a tragic thing and it really is a cornerstone of rock and roll for sure you were saying yesterday um to i don't know if it was to us or me i don't forget who but you didn't realize brian setzer was eddie cochran and you were like blown away, I was blown away yeah. and i and because at first it, i guess i could see that you wouldn't put that together but then it like kind of makes sense because he was in the stray cats and they're definitely a rockabilly mm-hmm. band so it kind of makes like perfect sense that like, he would be brian setzer uh, I'm sorry, bright sets to replay Eddie yeah. Cochran in this movie. And it's a an electrifying performance. You know. I
1: know, I kind of wanted, in general, I wanted more music. We were kind of talking about that earlier. I wish there had been a few, like, I don't know, like two more musical performances or big concert scenes.
0: Especially, like, towards the beginning of the movie, it was relatively devoid of music. It wasn't until, like, the half hour mark where the, it really started getting music. <laughs> if you think about it though like the three songs that are featured are his three kind of most famous songs which is come on let's go la bamba and donna and that's kind of it that you see richie perform that like we actually know and i kind of agree with you mary like i just wish there was a little bit more of his music even though there really wasn't a lot to begin with but at the same time though for an eight year eight month career uh he did a lot yeah. and he also didn't like no, he was gonna die <laughs> tragically at 17 it kind of irks me when people say like oh he's like a minor artist like that's why i kept reading a lot of film reviews and all of his albums were posthumously released because you know they were just singles they, like he was working on his studio album so then they kind of threw together i think they said like two albums yeah. worth and then a live recording and that's really all the recordings that richie Valens had i mean that poster in the when he's talking to eddie cochran and he's talking about the uh the show where I forgot what they were talking about but you see that poster and it's like a who's who of early rock and roll you see Chuck Berry and Dion and the Belmonts and Eddie Cochran mm-hmm. Jackie Wilson and you're just like whoa like that's iconic those are iconic figures like he's he's up there
1: well, and I learned this today and didn't realize like he and Eddie Cochran were actually pretty close. And like one of my favorite Richie songs is called Hurry Up. And uh, I guess Eddie's fiance at the time wrote that and she wrote it because Eddie was always irritated with her that she was late to all their dates. And like, I guess Richie liked the song, so she gave it to him to record, So I thought it oh, wow. was funny. I oh. had no idea.
0: And he's another one that died yeah. very young because he died in a car yeah. crash.
1: Well, I guess we should talk about, like, the kind of creepier part of the movie or the visions he has, you know, due to, Mm -hmm. you know, he was at his grandfather's funeral and ended up being spared, being killed by a plane crash, you know, that killed several of his classmates. It's just, it's really haunting, like, that, you know, it's this theme throughout the movie.
0: And what's really interesting is is that that's what opens yeah. the movie. And you're seeing these um, these images of children playing basketball, and you're seeing these planes flying over the school or wherever it is, and then it crashes, right. and it's black and white, and you're, it's just grainy, and it's it's very unsettling, yeah. like it's kind of like insinuating this like fear of flying and airplanes. That I mean, I feel like. All the viewers who are going into this movie kind of know sure. what happens mm-hmm. so it feels like it and then it continues throughout the entire film this uh fear of fear of airplanes well coming.
1: yeah it's just like every scene is set up to fill you with dread because you know it's coming yeah. like when bob right. Keane's telling him like oh we're going to such and such location and we have to fly for that like you just you start feeling more and more dread as the movie goes on Especially yeah, since he's so he just,
0: resistant to getting on that plane. He's like, no, you know I never get on planes. You understand yeah. why. And and then after the tragedy strikes, you, you see the reaction that I think maybe affected me the most was seeing Bob Keene's reaction. Right. In the car when he finds out. Knowing mm-hmm. everything, you know, how how much he pushed him to get on planes, you know. I think the thing with the Bob Keene character is like the family looks at him one way like not that he's villainous but he's like not looking out for richie but i think he is though and i think that he's one of the ones that guides richie and tries to like help him have success Mm -hmm. but he also like ensures to richie though sometimes you have to like sacrifice things to be successful and that whether that's changing your name or recording 40 takes of let's come on let's go right because that was painful to watch at first he's like whoa whoa whoa." and you know I I found it painful too when he was first going to the studio. He's like, I don't perform without my band and then he's like, What's more important, your music or your friends? And then he My family. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, your music or your friends right. and family and he kinda hesitates. And part of me wanted to be like, Your friends and family, dude <laughs> <laughs> But then he just walks over and's like, Oh no, I'll just record my music. They don't need
1: this, to know. The studio scenes are interesting because most of them are just Richie and Bob, it feels like and I know on La Bamba, um earl palmer who is a rock hall inductee and carol Kay, uh-huh. who is not and that's shameful which is or unbelievable they bo- yeah they both play Forced on this track thing. and they make it seem like a very solitary thing like that was recording but there are mm-hmm. a lot of people involved
0: oh absolutely there, there was the wrecking crew wasn't it or oh, members yeah. of the wrecking crew yeah mm-hmm. that scene really it was hard to watch at first because you're just thinking like the Bob King is hearing something that, that the others aren't hearing. And I think that, that that like in a weird way, like that's the importance of that scene is that he's trying to like push Richie to his full potential. And even though like the brothers listen and he doesn't hear any difference, that's kind of the producer's role, to get the best out of that performer. And I also love, in like, when he's singing, he's not even listening at one point. He's just trying to think of, like, different stage names because he knows that Richard Venezuela is not going to sell records. right? Better than Richie Zuela. <laughs> <laughs> or the guy in the bar that says Ricky Ricardo. Yeah. Like, do right. you remember that part? And I'm like, oh, shit. It's was just like reinforcing like oh, like, the, the racism tropes, you know, that of the 1950s. Any Hispanic person is automatically seen as Ricky Ricardo. Oh, my gosh. I
1: know. It was, like,
0: it was so, like, just crazy but um i really like the bob keen character i thought like they could have easily positioned him as like a villainous or deceitful character but i don't think he was
1: though. no he seemed to genuinely like have his best interests at heart and really believed in him
0: and i think what's interesting too about bob keen is that he had this like background that he played in Artie shaw's band and also he was one of the first producers to work with sam cook when sam Cooke. Went to secular music yeah. wow. so he was like an established name i feel like we didn't even we didn't talk about lou diamond phillips enough i think it kind of goes to show that richie was a surprisingly underwritten character right even it, this is his movie and lou infuses as much of his charisma his natural screen presence into the role as he can and he pulls it off i think really well
1: yeah, he's just like adorable is the only word yeah. like that c- f- comes to mind. Like he just you know, um, he's very very charming, very very yeah, likable, very <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: baby <laughs> <laughs> My dad met Lou Diamond Phillips like maybe ten years ago. What? And uh, yeah. oh really? <laughs> well, he works. My dad works at the local Broadway theater, but you know how the traveling shows come through.
1: Yeah, like touring
0: shows come yeah. through. Like he he works like um door watch for the theater there, and so like as. The companies are coming in and bringing in the sets and stuff like that he it's almost like a security kind of thing and uh lou diamond phillips was in one of the shows that came through i don't recall offhand which you know what the show was but he said that he was a bit of a character oh, no. <laughs> not in a bad way but he had some some diva tendencies which what, Josh ask you a question, hmm? did he stand and deliver of no, course he wow. did <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had, to. I <laughs> had to no he was good in the movie but what's really weird about the reception is when i was reading reviews of when the film came out in 87 it focused predominantly on Lou diamond phillips because it was his first role and it's like a breakthrough performance but it's so weird because he seems like such a secondary character yeah. in a way but they couldn't get scarlett johansson to play the hispanic role right <laughs> well you know she she should she should just right. audition scarjo <laughs> right? Oh my <laughs> If she's gosh. gonna play against race, she might as well just, you know, <laughs> go hard or go home. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's get out of here. No joke. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> but, oh man. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, no. He he is very natural on stage. He made the most of fairly undercooked part, and he really lights up the screen. I think with those with those eyes and that dimply smile yeah well can we talk about for a second that like blue diamond phillips didn't know he was auditioning for a richie valens oh yeah um, right he thought it was for uh, frankie valley of, of the four seasons <laughs> it's so funny and then he had to get in the role and it ended up being like his breakthrough performance and he would do quite a few movies that were uh very predominant mm-hmm. and
1: i think oddly like this will be the one he'll be remembered for yeah oh, forever yeah and even like the family when they were
0: on set they kept saying that um he looked like Richie. They even called him yeah. Richie, and and I thought it was cute. Well, not cute really, I guess. But when they, he was at the plane, her boarding the plane with the Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and they were like, "Don't go, Richie," and uh, it was cute. Yeah, they really loved him, and, and they they really um, embraced him.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like the movie in general, like it being filmed, was very healing for the family. Like I don't know, I just feel terribly for them. Like this is such yeah. a traumatic event for a seemingly very loving very close-knit family
0: well they said in one of the interviews that um you you mentioned mm-hmm. mary or that you sent to us that the family thought that after the movie came out it was kind of like closure and they could move past that because there was so much guilt and sadness but the movie is so celebratory yeah. of, of richie's legacy that it more or less allowed them to like close that chapter of their lives and before to be of course they're going to always love him and miss him dearly but it also allowed them to move on one
1: of the interviews i was reading with bob he said like someone asked me about richie every single day and it just like that just must be it must be tough to be a family member of a celebrity who has passed away like that because it just rips this wound open for you because a well-meaning fan of course they want to ask you know but at the same time like richie was a real person to a real brother you know and it's just it's painful for them to constantly have it brought up
0: you can never really grieve and get over it or you're really constantly grieving right you never move on you know it's amazing to me when i when i was watching this how this movie and selena are like two peas in the same pod (laughs) almost across the board obviously you know they Passed away in very different ways, but the trajectory right. of the of the movies and their careers are so similar. Well, and, and Selena I, and I mean, was such a
1: credible artist, and I think should be nominated as well. As she, you know, was a huge crossover mm-hmm. artist, and I think would have done yeah. so much. She influenced so many artists,
0: and she didn't speak Spanish either. Yeah, and that was another big plot point in that movie. Yeah, but it's so ironic though that like Selena's biggest hits are or most successful records, and of course, Richie Valance's La Bamba, it's ironic in a way that they were not native speakers or didn't know Spanish, um, but that ended up becoming right. what defined right. them Bitty Bitty Bamba. as um, artists. If you think about it, though, the successes of, we can they so many Latin artists like um, Selena, Gloria Estefan, Los Lobos, even Ricky Martin, Shakira, a lot of it goes back to Richie. Yeah, Valance. of course. And just think about this, eight months, this is all his career yeah. is in a way. And it's just, it, it's, it's just mind boggling that he did so much in so little time. And then just think like, he would be like 78 or 79 years old. And there's something crazy about that. Cause that's, that's almost as old as like our director, because that's, I think why Luis Valdez was so connected yeah. to the story was because he grew up around the same area mm-hmm. and was born around the same time as Richie Valance. And that personal connection of chasing the American dream, but on your own terms, and also embracing your heritage. But you know, he doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall. Of Fame.
1: No, not at all. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why? <laughs> well, and it's like you know, I'll go here. I think it's easy. Like if a predominantly white audience says, "I don't know why this guy is in the Rock Hall." has no business being in there yeah. and like he means so much to a different community and it's a whole different experience no richie is so deserving yeah, of course and, he is. like
0: he was nominated three times and he got in 2001 and ricky Martin inducted him right did we he? were talking I about did this. Know did that, that tidbit
1: yeah the he, speech uh, was short we we're talking about this today the musical performance was beyond ju- just okay i think
0: put in ricky martin's speech was i think it was barely yeah. a minute i don't even think it was a minute and then i he did the three songs come on let's go donna la bamba i think it was barely 10 minutes the whole Richie valens i mean i'm sure there was a video or montage but i they didn't make it on youtube or, oh it's on youtube we saw, but i was like man richie deserves a little bit more but it's also like the the perfect three song lineup that you could ever think and of. I, like, I didn't realize he wasn't inducted until two thousand one like yeah. come on i thought he was like in the 80s or early 90s well doesn't that kind of show that in a way like the movie la bamba came out what 87? 87 so the rock and roll right. hall fame was established a few years before that then the first class was the year before this movie so it does feel kind of strange that he it, it took a while that's bonkers
1: that's I mean, our rock hall <laughs> <That's not>
0: <laughs> Oh, you know rock hall logic josh <laughs> i don't know i mean right, there's quite a few people that uh should be in from that era there still aren't yeah. it's crazy to think that it took that long after the movie because this was like 14 years after la Bamba. yeah and by the way los lobos should have totally inducted uh in my opinion ricky I mean, R- richie
1: and yeah um, it's really everyone, interesting like. that they chose not to have los lobos so you know what's
0: really bizarre about that year's class is that paul simon was inducted that year as well do you know who inducted Paul Simon that year, it's like the weirdest choice I you can't ever got. Mark Anthony. Oh. Wait, what? Really? Uh huh. It's like the weirdest May, December, <laughs> like induction, inductor, and Mark Anthony? Like, you could ever. You sang to yeah. me? Like, or I need to know. Yeah. It's like a bizarre. <laughs> I need to know why. Like, I think at a movie together or like they collaborated together because I always remember Mark Anthony's speech because he was very nervous and like it was really wasn't that good and he turned (laughs) out to something that like I never thought I would be on stage with uh, Paul Simon again unless we were in the witness protection program (laughs) like it was like I think he said something like that and I was just like okay like they couldn't find someone a little bit more predominant to insult Paul Simon Um, okay well nothing gets Mark Anthony. Remind me to never experience? public
1: a... speak in front of Nick ever. He's like, eh, she sucked.
0: <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. I just like, and uh, then and then I think, well, I think the best part of that is that Paul Simon came out and said basically, yeah, I'm surprised we're on stage together too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, the and, shade. And you
0: just... The Cat Man—that's what it's called. Because Paul Simon did a musical. Oh, the one that went right and, like, before. Yeah. yeah, and then I guess that was the connection that they had because Mark Anthony was in the mute. Like I, I, he became famous with you know the Latin ex- ex- explosion at the late '90s with like Ricky Martin and Shakira and uh yeah, J-Lo so It's now. just oh yeah, Je- Jennifer Lopez. I I knew I was forgetting <laughs> like a predominant female. Nick is on his high horse.
1: He really is how's the air up there on I'm your sassy st- horse neck
0: it <laughs> actually i don't know but yeah i felt that the ricky martin performance was just really flat like not that it was flat it's just like it made me think like why isn't los lobos right there? that's what i kept the thinking thing is i fun.
1: really love ricky martin and it, like the performance was so strange it's like they told it's almost like someone directed him to go out and be like super stereotypical what someone would think of a latin performance like instead yeah, like of just really being authentic play into your latino side you right know? right <laughs> yeah it um it it, it just wasn't it like him at forced. all like i don't know
0: right like he basically like should have just grabbed a sombrero and like clapped around <laughs> it, you know like, yeah exactly <laughs> we gotta get you that induction video, yes because it's just it's a very bizarre it's on i think his um rock hall bio it's just a bizarre speech because it's just like yeah, Rich, Richie Valens, he was great. Let's go perform. Right. And you're just like, okay, I, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to say about Richie. My Valance, speech will be as like... long as his career.
1: <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> <Let's talk> like... <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Y'all need Jesus talking like uh... that.
0: <laughs> oh my God, that was terrible. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 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 sorry <Whoa>. not sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh how are, how is this that you know we're talking about Bob and we're still not the worst people in this room? No yeah. I'm joking. I know. <laughs> God, that was that that made me <laughs> laugh. Um, <laughs> well, oh, can we talk for a second about the the opening scene of the yeah. movie? Mm-hmm. So, like when Bob is riding on the motorcycle. Um, okay, so I was really nervous when I rewatched this movie because I thought it was going to be very cheesy just based on the opening graphics and the opening yeah. I was graphic. a little right. nervous in the first it's couple the same- minutes too. <laughs> Because it seemed like, like, did you ever watch The Simpsons, either one of you? Yeah, like, oh yeah. It was like the behind the music or laughter episode, and Bart was with Lou Diamond. I think I watched Lou Iman Phelps, and it was like renegade, but it was like very like 1980s. <laughs> and that's what I got like immediately when I watched this. Like, it it's like, like a Miami a Vice Obama. episode. Right. Yeah, and it and then it kind of picks up a little after, and you're like, okay, thank thank you, uh, <laughs> Mr. Faldez, because that would be so because you know sometimes like that creates like a a mood or an atmosphere right it sets the stage for what's to come i i have to admit i was a little nervous in the beginning too Uh, especially with like planes and black and white stock footage and then you're seeing yeah uh, it's probably uh, one one of the oddest
1: starts to a movie ever if you think about it there's a plane crash where like children are getting crushed and then like this kind of cool scary looking guy on a bike (laughs)
0: <laughs> right it's the odd just ju- juxtaposition and he's like cutting off people like it kind of like in a way defines this character from right. the beginning just that that title sequence because he's like like bright up people and he's like cutting people off and oozing machismo and the tough guy when i think of rock and roll especially in this era i always think like rebellion and i feel like the bob character is so much more of a rock and roller anti-authority kind of figure and richie seems like the total opposite right in a way. he's like a goody two-shoes he loves rock and roll but you know what i mean like it's just it's so strange to me that like one seems more like a rock star and one really doesn't the one who is a rock star actually doesn't yeah you see we keep coming back to bob
1: he's like literally the first character they show in the movie and like
0: uh... we don't even see richie until later like like a few minutes. he does take
1: richie to tijuana to toughen him up a little bit though (laughs) he
0: does that scene is funny (laughs) now can i ask you guys a question though because i was confused by this um so the rosie character now where she and richie i think that was a total
1: hollywood thing i think from what i read and could find i think rosie was just bob's girlfriend
0: okay because i was confused because in the um the movie it insinuates that Rosie was the love interest of Richie because I think they kiss on the lips like once or twice in the movie and then and then Bob and Rosie have well we'll just say have relations we gotta keep it clean for Josh's yeah, they hugged hugged a lot. Lot. Um, <laughs> they really they did but um, they had relations and then they were together and then you kind of see throughout the movie that um, Richie seems kind of resentful towards yeah. Bob it's almost like a triangle relationship but apparently the Valdez brothers because um Daniel and Louise they were they that's actually more based on their real life that they in- inserted into this movie because apparently that that's not what really happened right. from what right. I've read
1: yeah it's almost like Richie was so clean cut it's almost like they had to insert a little drama into the movie like because the only <laughs> one who was edgy was Bob Rosie was a little edgy too yeah she was her. great yeah um, yeah she was, and she was real edgy. Elizabeth Pena may she rest um you know, tragically left oh, us yes. too soon, but she was put on such a wonderful for performance.
0: I love the scene when um, their high as a kite, her yeah. um, Bob and the yeah. couple they're doing drugs and drinking and she's just like this is not what i want you go girl like stand up for yourself
1: yeah she just wants a better life and she thinks she's come to get that and it's she's really not much better off at all she's actually worse
0: off i think because at least in the compound it's more communal like yeah they're poor but they're also like loving and nurturing and they help each other they feed each other and i feel like when they move out of there and they go to i guess east la is that where they go yeah Um, that's where um it's just the opposite it's like chaotic it's no love he's never there she that's like half of what she says to him Is like you're just not here like i need you he doesn't stay in one place he 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 picks his ball up and goes somewhere else he's a rolling stone (laughs) (laughs) oh as it were Interestingly, this this movie was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2017, yes. 30 yes. years after its release. And I think that says a lot for its influence. Well, the National Film Registry is from the Library of Congress, and they established that in 1989. And it's basically movies that are either culturally, aesthetically, or historically important. So they induct 25 movies every year into the registry. So I think there's almost 800 movies now. And what I was, I think, telling Mary before is, I think it's really striking how Luis Valdez has, he's directed very few movies. Like he's directed maybe nine movies, but three of them are in the National Film Registry. And that's really uh, mind boggling because he said, I am Joaquin. That's like a short film that was at the height of the Chicano movement in the late yeah. 60s um and that that was like 10 years ago so 2010 then he's la bamba in 2017 that's when that was inducted and then this past december uh zoot suit that that one that he because he was a playwright really he wasn't really uh in film really he was more based in theater mm. that hit that 1981 version was just inducted last year huh i'm not familiar with those other two films <laughs> I, Zuzu looks really, really interesting. It's supposed to be like this like period I think it's like during the war I would have to like look it up, but it's really, really interesting, but what's really fascinating is that he's so important because he was the first Chicano um, director to have a play on Broadway, and that was oh, okay. Zuzu, wow. And then at a party, I think maybe the first one or second one he heard La Bamba at a party, and that's when he became interested to do a film on Richie Valens. That became La Bamba. Yeah. When I saw it go into the National Film history, because I follow that a lot, um, like what gets in, inducted every year. And it's only only American movies. Fame in for movies. Oh, it truly is. It should it should be the same thing yeah. in a way. Um, it seemed like a really bizarre choice at first, but then when I thought about it, I was like, Yeah, this movie it really is important and it's part of this Chicano film movement in the eighties that you saw with like Luis Valdez and other filmmakers make a really important bold films about Latino subjects in a positive light. Yeah. And in an, in an authentic light devoid of stereotypes yes. and devoid yeah. of, of tropes. Actually, I thought about it. I was like, it actually is a really important movie. And I think it's really strange because it's taken like this biopic character. You wouldn't think of necessarily as um, he's considered like a minor figure and it kind of elevated him to like be seen as one of the, um, as worthy of induction into the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. Like a predominant figure, even in his short mm-hmm. life.
1: When I feel like the biopics about quote unquote minor artists like that work better than like say the Bohemian Rhapsody, which had a few problems. Like for me, anyway, yeah. um, you know, it's just oh, there's no. less pressure. I feel like you know, and that maybe creators have a little more leeway in telling the story correctly.
0: Versus, you know, is something like Rocket Man's a little different because even though Elton John is such a major figure, they can at le- he at least was you know he was in charge of that whole story so he could tell it the way he wanted it told whereas bohemian rhapsody was too many hands in the kitchen as it whatever the saying is (laughs) too many cooks in the kitchen i think what's really important about this movie too is that he was kind of always remembered for the day the music died in a way like at, at like with the plane crash and then it was he was kind of immortalized with the american pie song but i think what's really important about this movie too is that this happened in, like, 87, and that's when you saw, like, a resurgence of Latin pop, so, like, the Gloria Estefan-era characters. Like, Latin music was kind of back on popular music, like, mm-hmm. consistently on the charts. And it, it really kind of allowed modern audiences to know and appreciate the music of Ritchie Balance because it was kind of, like, not as well-known as it is today. Yeah. And it introduced a whole new audience. So even a way, like, even if I don't really care for, say, bohemian rhapsody at least it kind of introduces people to the music of queen and i think that that's oh a good totally point, even if i think the movie's yeah even if the movie's pure crap
1: right. i mean look at me i was eight years old and watched this movie and got turned on to the music of richie valens i that's why i love biopics you know in a way mm-hmm. it really does like open up a whole new world to a new audience I love biopics. It's like, what even when they're things. bad, they're good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so bad that
1: they're good. I
0: find that happens uh, more often than not. But. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes.
0: So before we wrap up, I was inspired by um, the conversation about minor figures in rock and roll and telling their stories. So I kind of just want to round table this. If you guys could pick one quote unquote, minor figure to make a biopic about in rock and roll who would you choose how do we define minor though was um, it like somebody that, that maybe would that not are... be like a household name hmm. that maybe my minor figure was not a good way of framing it but... do you think maybe like a forgotten figure either a forgotten maybe, figure like... or maybe or an underrated figure so, like somebody that people wouldn't know very much about you know who i would think would be a good um biopic well i have a few names but one of them would be like um like hank ballard because like right. barry and eric just did an episode mm-hmm. on hank ballard he's really important because he had the annie songs that were very provocative they were very like salacious yeah it was for something
1: like aunt annie's fanny or something that effect.
0: <laughs> But it's like how, like, the Roxanne Roxanne stuff in the 80s. It's kind of, like, about this woman Annie from, like, the 50s. And I think, like, something maybe, like, that would be interesting. One that comes to mind, too, is Eddie Cochran. Because he's someone that, you know, he lived a fast life, but he's also very important. Especially to, like, you know, like, the British Invasion era.
1: So... This will shock no one. I would love a really good biography on Dennis Wilson or biopic on Dennis Wilson, Um, like tastefully done. I think it's too easy to get caught up in some of the drama of his life. And of course there was quite a bit of drama, but he was also a really wonderful artist and just as much of a genius as Brian Wilson and um, put out a lot of beautiful music. And I would love to see his story told in kind of a respectful, you know, fair way
0: you know who else i think would be good is dion for sure that'd be interesting Mm -hmm. because dion also like he had a secular period but then he went to like non-secular music and i always think that that's like really interesting like when you see artists go through such transformations
1: yeah for sure yeah and then after our scream and jay episode i think a scream and jay movie would be awfully fun
0: i was thinking him too (laughs) well (laughs) Apparently, they're doing like a documentary about like trying to search for the children of oh Stray my J. god <laughs> I, It'll I take will them like seven to years I... to film <laughs> oh my god it's it's so many people at this point it's like uh I forgot if it was in variety it was in something like that and I was like ooh Mary would really uh love to see yeah this you movie. gotta go
1: on YouTube um, and look up that documentary it's called I put a spell on me and uh, it through the tour like in the last months of his life and it's just it's crazy like how good he still was right up until the end and he's such a character in it. Like, and I was telling Eric like I think J.B. Smooth like could play him like he oh speaks God. just like oh. Leon and Kirby Your Enthusiasm uh, it's so funny
0: it's a 70s female songstress who I think would make a, an incredible movie bit of a downer but I think that Judy Sill doesn't get enough love I don't know if either of you know anything about her
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar. uh
0: Yeah, she was from the wave of like the Carly Simon, Joni Mitchell, early 70s singer-songwriter movement. She was on David Geffen's Asylum Records where she put out two albums. But because of her bad behavior and her um, run-ins with David Geffen, she was dropped from the label and eventually like totally self-destructed from that years later. But even like before she was sent to all these different reform schools growing up and she ended up like robbing banks and her demons were so intense yeah that, um i don't know and, and her music is just so so beautiful i i don't know i think she would be a really interesting story to tell and a really good person for the public to s- rediscover i think i'll have to check her out what did she pass uh late 70s i want to say like 78 79 oh so she's been she she passed a, like, many oh, years like ago yeah like ago. she stopped recording music i think in like 75 i still want my jackie wilson yeah, that would be amazing from, from this guy that was in this movie i was like oh my goodness we need we need more of that jackie yeah. wilson. And the other <laughs>
1: person i was thinking would make a great movie is jose feliciano like i got so inspired by him when we oh, were world. doing that tarantino episode like his story is pretty incredible and just some of the things he faced
0: yeah and he's so much more than just felice navidad
1: Right, exactly.
0: He's a very interesting figure, and he did so much activism as well. Yeah.
1: I love but that, I, like, his version of the National Anthem was so beautiful, and I love that's kind of what he got taken down for, like, that it was un-American, and it's just, I don't know, it's yeah. crazy to me. I guess I live in a different world than people.
0: You do know who also have a good biopic, and I'm kind of shocked because it's around the same time period. I think Link Ray would be a really good subject for a biopic because I think that being a Native American... And unapologetically, with one of the only songs I could think of that's an instrumental that was banned from radio, because it was deemed too violent. And then he went to, like, I think Switzerland or Sweden, right, Mary? Like, somewhere like that. Just a fascinating life, and I wonder if, like, he needs that treatment to finally get in the... Well,
1: no, because Stephen Van Zandt screwed him by putting him on the singles list, so (laughs) he's done. Who, bandana guy? Yeah. Don't even get me started. There's that section, but... uh no he would be fascinating and Buffy St. Marie too
0: yeah Buffy's great and Alec Shilton's the other one I was thinking of because I did I thought it was like early Rocky you were talking about I think Alec Shilton of like the box tops and big
1: star yeah that's another cool one that
0: had a really character. fascinating life and very influential and not really well known today really as as he should be no, obviously
1: we need lots and lots of money to get all of these projects off the ground <laughs> <I guess. laughs>
0: Um, I guess we could go into any final thoughts that you guys have on La Bamba.
1: I just really enjoyed revisiting it. Like it had been a really long time and it kind of gave me the warm fuzzies thinking about my grandmother again, because I watched it so often with her and um, I just, it was more solid of a movie than I remember it being. Mm. And I don't know. It was just interesting. I mean, obviously I love Richie Valens will always love Richie Valens. And it was just kind of nice to revisit the music. I've been playing them a lot this week. It made me do some digging on Bob because he came across as a more sympathetic character to me this go-around than when I was a kid. He just seemed kind of mean and scary. <laughs> like, <so. laughs>
0: yeah, he's a little more n- nuanced than yeah. I think he maybe initially seems. So I agree, Mary. I saw this uh, for the first time in a long time, and it just made me realize that the legacy of this movie is that it- it's about a family, and it- it's about... Um, achieving the American dream in many ways. And Richie personified that. And I, and I think my favorite scene in the movie um, is when he, it's very cute. He buys the mother a house because he always promised her, I'll buy you a house if I make enough money. And it's just, I mean, it's something I think any son or daughter would love to do for their parents. So it it kind of makes him um, more relatable to, uh, to people. But I just, it struck me that the whole movie is is about a family coming out of poverty and achieving an American dream but then tragedy happens and it's just it's so it's so sad that his legacy is is likely um, thought of or related to that but I was surprised at how well done it was I was surprised how strong the performances were too and how it portrayed la- latino subjects in a very positive way and on their terms an actual hispanic cast an actual hispanic crew it, it's really um refreshed it was a re- was more refreshing than i thought although some things seemed a little dated um the opening like the, like the opening <laughs> sequence but um it was it was fantastic and i think that it deserves its place in the national film registry and you know absolutely yeah well as a, as a la bamba virgin and, uh, a, <laughs> and a Latino person with an Irish last name, I I really enjoyed it. I, I It was better than I was expecting it to be, and a lot more uh, nuanced and, and um, enlightening than I was expecting it to be. I thought it would be hokier. I thought it would be tropier. I thought it would be a little more by the numbers, but it, it was not at all. It was very creative. It, it was very engaging. It was really beautifully done, and I'm, I'm really happy that I've Finally, have filled in that film gap, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm really happy that I got to talk about it with you guys because it, it, it enriched the experience even more. That's for sure. A big thank you to both of you guys for for coming on and doing this and talking about La Bamba and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Richie Valens and and everything that goes with it. <laughs>
1: well, thanks for cool. having me on.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. But I got to apologize to Mark Anthony so that I feel really bad. <laughs> I love that I shamed <laughs> you hindsight. about Mark Anthony. <laughs> I need to know, Mary. I need to know um, about uh, if I'm I be thought you year. were going to no, apologize I, I... to
1: Josh for us blowing up his DMs pretty much with like every article oh. and YouTube video and random nonsense. Like,
0: <laughs> I honestly haven't oh, really looked at the conversation. Just um. don't. You're better <laughs> okay. off. <laughs> okay. So Mary, where can we find you on social media and beyond?
1: So you can look us up at Hall Watchers on both Twitter and Facebook. They're re- awesome. ready to chat. <laughs> They're ready and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick, how about you?
0: Uh, you can find me at Nick D. Bambeck on Twitter, and um, you could go to my website to read um, more about the Rock Roll of fame. It's the audio official repository. But thank you for having me. Yeah, Marcia. thank this you was, so much. was so much. My absolute pleasure. This was beyond fun you put up with all her shenanigans, <laughs> it was and, some uh, shenanigans. Uh, yeah no this was awesome thank you guys so much for taking some time and doing this this is of this course is really fantastic no this was a blast and thank you again of for course. having us. yeah and real quick I'm, I'm gonna um do if you want to contact me or you know or, or mary and nick and talk more about the movie uh the email address is movies at rockpod at gmail.com And on Twitter, it's at RockMoviesPod. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. good or bad, it's fine. (laughs) I can handle it. Um, It just helps people find the show. So, um, yeah. So thanks again, and we will be talking to you guys soon.